look at our scripture. It can be found on the inside of your bulletin. This is Luke 6, 37 through 42. This is Jesus speaking. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will, be, then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> well, I was stopped by the police this week. Uh, just another typical week in the life of Carlos Rodriguez. And what was my crime? Uh, <clears throat> there was a car parked, uh, excuse me, a police car with the, with the uh, lights going on. It looked like he was giving a ticket. And I did the classic rubbernecking uh, and drove by. And, uh, you know, he was just sitting there. He had given a ticket. Well, I keep on going and lo and behold, here come the sirens. And he said, you know, did you not see me? I said, yes. He said, you neither moved to the, the outside lane, nor did you slow down. And in Virginia, it's a law that you have to do both of those things. I know, I know, it's going to happen to you, right? So I pled for mercy, I got down on my knees, I prayed, and uh, he did not give me a ticket, and I'm so glad of that. Thank you, boys in blue. Um, <clears throat> but I have fallen prey to other laws in the state of Virginia. For instance, it is a crime to wear a ski mask uh, in the state of Virginia, aside from if you are skiing. I don't understand the logic of such a rule. And uh, so I was uh, arrested for that doing youth ministry. Wow, I'm not going to even try to explain that. But there are other sorts of ridiculous laws around the country as well. For instance, in Florida, you will be fined $1,000 for participating or permitting dwarf tossing in your establishment. So if you were trying to open some sort of dwarf tossing venue, don't do it in Florida. In New Haven, in Connecticut, it's illegal to collect seaweed at night. Makes perfect sense. In Minnesota, you may not host uh, contests in which you have to chase an oil or greased pig. And in Culpeper, Virginia, you cannot wash your mule on the sidewalk. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. There are certainly ridiculous laws, but even more so, there are ridiculous lawsuits. What about Judge Roy Pearson in D.C. who sued a dry cleaner who lost his pants for $67 million? He was simply frustrated with the satisfaction guarantee. He lost. Or how about one of my favorite lawsuits, the uh, United States ex-REL Gerald Mayo versus Satan and his staff. Mayo filed suit against Satan and his staff for violation of his civil rights. 
among the allegations were that Satan had on numerous occasions caused him misery and unwarranted threats all against his will. That Satan had placed deliberate obstacles in his path that caused Mayo's downfall. And that by reason of the foregoing, Satan had deprived him of his constitutional rights. The court responded that even if Mayo's complaint reveals an infringement of the civil rights of a citizen of the United States, the court has serious doubts that the complaint reveals a cause of action upon which relief can be granted by this court. In other words, we can't do anything about it. The court went on further. We question whether Mayo may obtain personal jurisdiction over the defendant. The plaintiff has failed to include with the complaint the required form of instructions for the United States Marshal for directions as to service of process. In other words, we need an address if we're going to serve Satan in a lawsuit. You know, the truth of the matter is judging is part of life. Not only in the legal realm, but in the practical realm, right? We go to buy a car, we just judge, make a judgment of which one might be the right one and the right price. You have a date night and you're trying to decide, judging whether to go see a movie or go to dinner. Or go to the whatever that place is where you can have a movie and dinner. Isn't that exciting? I love those cheesy fries. That was pretty good and you're not giving me anything for that. Thank you. Jeez. Tough crowd. Very tough crowd. We judge situations, but we also judge people, right? We have to judge people. Making decisions about their character, whether to do business with them or not, whether to be friends with them or not, whether to marry them or not. Judging is part of life. But we also have this attitude where we want to judge, but we don't want to be judged. Right? The United States of America, don't judge me. What right do you have to judge me? How about that bumper sticker, keep your laws off of my body? And my question is, well, what about the laws of rape? And what about the laws of murder? What about the laws? See, we, we're interested in judging, but we're not interested in being judged. Maybe that's the way it is in the church as well, right? We come to hear a great message. We come to be encouraged. But to be put in a position where someone's questioning our conduct or character, certainly not. There's multiple churches, I'll just go to another. And it would seem that this passage would agree with that position, right? Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. It seems that it's saying not to judge in any sort of declarative way, moral way against anyone. But a careful examination shows that that's not true. For it goes on to talk about someone seeing a speck in someone else's eyes. Indeed, having some sort of responsibility to see it and do something about it, rather than simply walking away. And so the question is today, what role are we to play in each other's lives? I want to suggest to you that this passage is, talked about, is talking about not judging, but rather not judging incorrectly. There's a right way, and there's a wrong way. And so we must learn to judge from a right motivation, in the right manner, using the right model. So that's what we're going to talk about, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. To judge from the right motivation, in the right manner, using the right model. Well, let's look at this first point, from the right motivation. 
we see that Jesus says to judge not. And certainly there's other passages that anyone who is arguing this case would bring up. For instance, remember Jesus and the woman caught in adultery? He who is without sin cast the first stone. In other words, we're all guilty. And therefore, you're not able to, ca you know, to put any judgment. Well, as I always say, every heretic has his verse. If you take any sort of individual verse and divorce it from the rest of the scripture, I can pretty much come up with anything I want to do. We have to look at the passage and the verse in the context. Remember, Jesus has just spoken in, when he's speaking to his disciples about loving your enemies. He's just spoken about the golden rule. Whatever you would have someone do for you, do for them. And then he comes up with this. The meaning of judge in the Greek is to come to a conclusion in the process of thinking and thus to be in a position to make a decision. In other words, to come to a conclusion to decide to make up one's mind. We judge concepts, as I already illustrated, and we make moral judgments, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself, to do the right thing. We're all familiar with the Good Samaritan Law, right? It's about this coming to a decision. It's an obligation. But one of the things we have to discuss is what is the position in which you make a judgment. There's a hierarchy of decision making. It's not only your motive, but it's also your position. So if you're above whoever it is that you're judging, such as a legal judge, you make a judgment based on the particular status that you have. If you are a parent and maybe there's a child, the child will make decisions, hopefully, based on the hierarchy that there is someone above them that they are accountable to. But there is another type of hierarchy. Not the judgment of a judge, not the judgment of a son or daughter or father, but rather the judgment of a friend or brother. A judgment of equals, if you will. And it's in this context that Jesus is speaking, right? Look at the verse 3 uh, there. He's speaking, if you, brother, see someone caught in sin, you should restore them. He's saying that there is some sort of filial relationship between you, disciples, and by extension, the church. You are his brother. There is a spiritual bond between you. Remember Cain and Abel? Cain didn't like Abel's sacrifice, his brothers. And so what did he do? He went out in the field and he killed them. And God said, where is your brother? And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. There's a spiritual bond of brotherhood and sisterhood between Christians. And as such, we have a responsibility to lead one another in paths of righteousness. That's why Jesus said, can a blind man lead a blind man? Why is he leading him in the first place? How about the rest of the scripture, Hebrews 10, 24? And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. There's a responsibility there, an obligation, an opportunity. Or 1 Thessalonians 5:11. therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. And so as there's a responsibility to encourage, there's a responsibility to protect. 
Galatians 6.1, brothers, speaking to the church, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch over yourself lest you be tempted. Now does this obligation extend to non-believers? Are they also our brothers? Not in the spiritual sense. I do not have any authority, if you will, to judge them as non-believers for their non-believing behavior. Do we not sometimes pass judgment on non-believers for what they're doing? You know, ain't it great to see sinners acting like sinners? It's a different type of responsibility. And so we are not to hold non-Christians to Christian standards. But the right motivation we have toward our brother is love. The whole reason why there is a blind man is they can't see. They've been blind because there's a speck on their eye. It's some sort of spiritual sin that has taken a hold of them that they can't see. And because they can't see it and it's affecting how they live, it is vitally important that there's someone who's willing to come alongside them and to help them see what this is because they can't remove it on their own. It's dangerous, but it's an obligation. And so what is it that Jesus is saying when he says, don't judge? What he's saying is a hypercritical, condemning spirit. It's Cain's judgment. It's this hierarchical judgment of, I want to exploit weakness. You know, when we really see where this judgment comes from, it makes me think of the fallenness of man that came from Satan. The reason we judge wrongly is because we want to play God. You know, the great thing about being God is when you're God, you're not accountable to anyone, right? We don't want to be accountable to anyone and so we're ruthless to the sins of others, but we're blind to our own. And so Jesus is saying, do not judge in this manner. You know, exalting ourselves by disparaging others is a very cheap way of attaining moral superiority. Remember that Pharisee and the tax collector, right? You have the tax collector, the sinner, and the Pharisee right next to him. God, I'm so thankful that I'm not like this man. Look at all that he does. The sinner, the tax collector, knows better than make a comment about the Pharisee. The truth of the matter is that the more you ascend toward the Son, if you are not God, the more you are blinded to your faults as you try to pass judgment higher than someone else. But the reality is we are not qualified to judge in the place of God. That's not a position that you can attain. You must be selected for it. You must be appointed for it. As Paul says in Romans, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his master that he stands or falls. But Chrysostom, the famous saint of old, said, I can judge as a brother. Correct him not as a foe, nor as an adversary exacting penalty, but as a physician providing medicines. Yes, and even more as a loving brother, anxious to rescue and restore, we judge as a brother. And so brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. It doesn't say might restore him. 
doesn't say can restore him. You should restore him gently. Not brutally. Not vindictively. Not cruelly. Gently. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now I want to point out something. Is our salvation in danger with this passage? Notice what it says, right? Judge not or you too will be judged. Forgive not, forgive or you will not be forgiven. No, what God is speaking of here, because he's speaking in the context of believers, is that if you want a relationship between me where there are no obstacles, live in this way with your brother. In other words, I'm not simply going to look aside if you are having an unforgiven, critical judging spirit. It's going to affect the way that we live. And until we get that right, there will not be free communion between us. You know, I remember a friend of mine, if you would call him as such, who was in college. And he was a friend. We had friction, tension. I remember once we were on a getaway and I made a comment to a mutual friend of ours. And uh, it was from a pure motive. It was an encouragement to him. It was flattery, if you will. Um... And out of nowhere, this friend piped up and basically tore my head off, impugned my motives, said that I was actually trying to bring harm rather than good. He interpreted my action as sin. Now, he was a friend, so it hurt tremendously. But as I got a chance to continue on and look at his life, I realized that the problem was not me. Rather, it was the sin in his own eye. He was blind to his own ambition. He desired the light so much that he refused to to see his own sin. And so he hated others that were getting it. And so as he judged me, he was the judge, he was the jury, and he was also the jailer. We talked about it, we sat So trying to explain to him what I was trying to do. Indeed, my position was bolstered by the very person I had complimented. But he would not budge because he was judging with the wrong motivation from the wrong position which gave the wrong result. You see, we all, Redeemer, have a responsibility to judge. So how do you see it? Am I my brother's keeper? Do you know somebody stops coming to church? Haven't seen him for a while. Heard they've sort of gone over the edge, gone back to their old ways. Do we feel a responsibility to go find them or is simply they were here and they're gone? How about someone else that you sense that there's a bitterness in their heart, a relationship with a parent, maybe with someone in this congregation and there's bitterness and there's gossip and it continues. Do we simply look away? Or is it our responsibility to come alongside them? To help them work through that? Not as a judge, but as a brother and a sister. We must judge from the right motivation. There is a cost. But you will know that it is from the right motivation when there is pain that you're willing to undertake to yourself. That your goal is to restore, not to rebuke. That your actions are motivated by love. 
Right now there may be a situation that you are in the middle of right now. Either in someone or with someone in this church or someone else. Examine your heart. Is it from the right motivation as a brother or sister? This moves me to my next position. We must judge in the right manner. Here are a couple of uh, tips, if you will, about how to judge in the right manner. Number one, you've got to understand the dangers. Remember that story, the little golden book, The Lion and the Mouse? Lion gets the uh, little uh, thorn in his paw. And he's angry. And he's restless. And nobody wants to come near him. But the little mouse sees the problem. Now the little mouse is not very strong, is he? But for some reason, this little mouse is very brave. And so understanding the danger, he steps in. You know, when somebody is hurting, they tend to thrash around. They can be upset. They can be, they can even see friends as those who are enemies. It's dangerous. One of the other things that is dangerous as you consider doing this is you could be wrong. You are the one that may be blind. You know, how is it that we cannot notice a log in our own eye? Right? He's speaking metaphorically. I can see that little speck there. But there's a giant log in my own eye and I can't... We must, number one, understand the dangers and then we must prepare the instrument. The scriptures don't say, well, give up because you've got a log in your eye. You have no standing to do anything about this. No, it said, first, take the log out. Don't give up. You first have to do a sort of spiritual surgery on yourself. I don't know if you've ever done surgery. I used to uh, when I was bored and needed some things to do. It was either that or macrame. So, there are a couple things you need to do when you're going to perform surgery. Number one, you have to prepare the tools, right? You have to sterilize the instruments that you're going to use. You heat them to a super hot temperature. You destroy all of the bacteria. You make sure that the tools are clean and tested and sharp. See, the reality is before we can take a tool to someone else, we have to experience the pain first. One of the hard things about my job is before I give out the medicine, I have to take it. I have to sit under the word. I have to and you have to be committed to a ruthless self-examination. You have to be willing to invite others into your life. Do you see anything in my life dealing with this? We need some sort of certification if you will. Because don't fool yourself. You can have a log in your own eye and not see it. We need a seal of approval. If you're afraid that you're not ready, bring people into your life and walk alongside uh, them in this process. We must beware of the danger. We must see clearly. We must understand the context. What's going on with them? You know, it was Joe Torrey, the manager of the Yankees, that said, when somebody came to me and they were upset or angry, I never really looked at what it was that they were saying. I tried to figure out what was behind it. What's the context? We're all coming from someplace, right? 
What's, where are they at in their walk with Christ? Have they been a believer for 30 years? Are they a brand new believer? Did they come from a broken situation? How long have they been in church? You know, some stuff is just simply growth. It's maturing. And we need to be gracious to one another, right? We're going to make mistakes. We're dealing with more examining. This is a perpetual, ongoing thing that is hurting them. It's consistent. Finally, we must learn to use the Word of God. Isn't it interesting that God refers to the Word of God as a scalpel? Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. But the Word is an instrument of grace and truth. It must be used as a scalpel, not as a bludgeon. So be careful of using the word as a club. I'm so thankful to the scriptures because they give us a process of working through these things. Right? Matthew 18. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, and if you look at it, he's talking more about simply a sin against me, a sin that is causing pain or rift in their life or in the churches. Go and tell him his fault between you and him or her alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You come alongside them privately, gently, showing them where the issue is. The goal being to gain your brother or sister. But, verse 16, if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Something's wrong with how I've connected with this person. It's either me or it's them. But I need other folks. You know, when there's a difficult case, you call in some other surgeons, right? Beware if you're not willing to call anyone else to look at the situation. Okay, maybe the reason is because when they look at it, they're not going to the same thing you are. Have some other folks come alongside. That's what Jesus is really saying, right? A matter must be established by two witnesses. If no one else sees this fault, guess what? You're not ready to go to them. You need to examine yourself. And then finally it says, if he, she refuses to listen to the two or three, tell it to the church. And in this case, speaking to the elders, the leaders of the church. And if he, she refuses to listen, even to the elders, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now what's he saying here? He's saying that the church equals the elders from a decision-making process. There is a hierarchy in the church. We will be electing elders. Our current elders right now are other pastors and, and ruling elders from other churches. We will be electing our elders We've already spoken of two candidates. And my only comment to you is to choose wisely. These are men who are entrusted to give biblical judgment. I do thank you that Presbyterianism is a set of checks and balances. We're all accountable, even myself. But we must judge behavior, the elders. There's no way I can see into a person's heart. But we as elders are called to judge behavior. 
And it mean, what it means to treat someone as a tax collector or a sinner is to say you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian and so we're going to treat you not as a Christian. Always imploring you to repent, to come back, to be restored to God. Now in our America we say you can't judge me, you don't have any authority over me. But guess what? The Bible says otherwise. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth. There are great spiritual consequences. I don't know if you know, I have a problem with my eyes. I have what's called pterygiums in my eyes. Essentially, it's Sunday. Uh, happens a lot to tennis players. I know a couple other tennis players. It's sort of the glare off of the sun, uh, off of the court. And also to surfers, the glare off of the water. And what it is, is it's a growth that begins to develop on the outside of your, uh, of your cornea. Uh, please don't look at me in a strange way when we get together to see them. Uh, I'm somewhat bashful about them. But the reality is I see fine. When you see my eyes, you'll see they're there. But I see fine. I don't even know that they're there. There's nothing I could really do if they were there. Because I don't have the expertise to be able to understand what's going on. It would need a surgeon to be able to come in and to take these things off. Needs to be an outsider. You know, one of the things I love about Christianity is God doesn't waste any pain. Often God has given you particular pain because you're going to be able to use it to come along someone else in their life and to be able to speak truth. And they're going to listen to you because they know they're coming to you as a brother, as a sister, even a servant. What is the pain that God has given you? It's been given in a strange way as a gift to help lead your brother or sister. So, you must not only make a decision to wade in, the right manner says that you must prepare to wade in. You must see this as a dangerous business. Have you determined in whatever situation to enter in the right manner? My kids that always say, you know, when you point one finger at someone, you have three pointing back at you. How is it that you go in in the right manner? Do you go in guns blazing, you know, shoot first, aim later? Are you willing to prepare and do the hard work in order to come along someone? If you're not willing to prepare, you're not qualified to judge. So take time. Let people into your life. Remember that this is important. Go before the Supreme Court first, before God and a jury of your peers to examine. And then judge gently. Not with a hammer and a chisel, but a scalpel and a clear eye to help get that splinter out. Not afraid of the thrashing or the anger. Willing to be deeper than simply a friend, but a brother. Many of the wounds of a brother or sister can be trusted. This brings me to my final point. Judging in a right motivation, in a right manner, in a right model. Jesus told, tells the parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Who really is the teacher? Jesus is speaking to his disciples, right? 
My goal is to have you judge maturely, growing up into the judgment that I am giving. For he is the teacher, right? And so Jesus is saying that this is the standard, the way that I judge. And can a blind man lead a blind man? You know, the gospel of Jesus is what gives us the strength and courage and love and grace to judge rightly. The reality is we were blind, weren't we? But Jesus Christ, the one who could see clearly, was willing to fall in a pit that we might get safely from one end to the other. One of my favorite uh, proverbs is a Welsh proverb. He who would be a leader must be a bridge. That means are you willing to let people walk over you so that they would not fall? We were blind, but Jesus fell into a pit. We can judge aright because he was judged wrongly. In this kangaroo court, right? In the middle of the night. With people lodging false accusations against him. And there he, hood, there he stood saying nothing. He was judged wrongly. So that we might be judged rightly. And surely with such grace and mercy can we not extend that to our brother and our sister? We can judge rightly because we have the best attorney in heaven. Jesus Christ who pleads on our behalf. The best defense is the guarantee of the Son of God. And so Jesus judged us not because we had a beam in our eye, but rather he took it out and he was on it. Because of the supreme judge, we can judge rightly. Not in arrogance, but humility. And so, before you choose to judge others, and it is a responsibility, by the way, if you're a member of this church, look to the one who heard your case first. Look to the one who didn't turn away from your sin. But look to the one who was willing to pay for it with his own blood. Because when you sterilize your heart and your mind with his love and grace, then you can judge with the right motivation in a right manner. Just like your teacher, our model, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we're so quick to judge others and so quick to forget your judgment upon us which was full of truth and grace, Lord. You didn't overlook our sins, but rather you took them to yourself and you buried them in the earth. Lord, help us to have a willingness to do the same with our brother and sister, to experience their pain. Isn't that what compassion means with suffering? Lord, help us to do things with the right motivation, that love would overflow our hearts. Help us to do it in the right manner, trusting in your scriptures and your healing work and your spirit. Lord, and help us to walk in your way. For Lord, when we do this, our brother and sister will experience your grace, hopefully being restored to the fellowship. And the world will see that we are a body that is supernatural, tinged with the grace and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.